Um, hey, if we haven't met, my name is Josh, and uh, I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the lead pastor here at Movement Church. And as I said at the start, we're celebrating seven years as a church, and uh, man, we are excited about that. We're excited about that because of uh, nostalgia. Like We all like to tell stories and remember wins, but I'm most excited about it because of what the future holds. I believe that things are going great, and they're going so great that I forgot to dismiss first through fifth graders, because I always do that. So uh, first through fifth graders, you guys are supposed to be going downstairs now uh, for your group. I'm surprised Heidi didn't remind me of that. I'm going to blame her, because I'm a good husband, right? Um, But I'm so excited for the next seven years. I'm so excited for the next seven years, because we exist not to put on the best worship, or for me to preach certain sermons, or, or what have you. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. And I believe, and I've seen this play out, and you've been a part of, church, part of movement before you've seen this play out. If we're all moving towards Jesus, then things happen, then things change, then things are restored. And that's what I want to be a part of. Hey, before I get started, would you pray with me? Father, I just pray that we would continue. We would continue to be a church that helps people find and follow Jesus. We would continue to be a church that is for our community. We would continue to be a church that helps people along this path, that we celebrate when people come to faith. We celebrate when people take a step of baptism, when they get involved, when they serve, when they, when they step outside of themselves, when they do all these things that are not performative, they're not obligatory, they're not out of shame or guilt, but they're out of love and devotion for you, Father, because you saved us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. So we're going to continue our series in John, and we're going to be in John chapter 11. But before we jump in there, let me kind of give you an overview of where we're going. We're going to be talking about how love causes us to do weird things. So I've got a question for you and a question for the people online. When you hear the term puppy love, what do you think of? When you hear the term puppy love, what do you think of? Now, that's a very literal thing. In my house, we have a puppy right now. And she's great and all that fun stuff. And yes, she's sleeping in our bed, and that's a whole nother conversation. And yes, my wife and myself, we have a lot of puppy love for little Rosie. But when I say puppy love, what do you think about? Do you think about your first boyfriend, your first girlfriend? Do you think about that time where you had to ask someone out maybe by passing them a note? Or you said, hey, let's go out, but you couldn't really go anywhere? You go steady as opposed to something else? I remember in first grade, I remember my grandfather asked me if I had a girlfriend, you know, typical grandfather stuff, kind of kidding and all that stuff. I said, no, I don't have a girlfriend. I have six. I had six girls at that time that I called my girlfriend. I was in first grade and that didn't mean anything. And we chased each other on the playground and that was about it. Or maybe when you think about puppy love, you think about a teenager, a teenager version of yourself. And you were so infatuated and you thought this was the one and and you thought you really knew what love was and you were really, you were just going to be with that person for life. And sure, there are stories out there of high school sweethearts getting married, but it's rare, right? Or or maybe when you think about puppy love, you you think about the ways in which you do weird things. I've heard stories about guys who learned to play an instrument when they didn't know how to play an instrument. Or they pretended to know a lot about something in order to have something to talk about with someone they were interested in. Or vice versa, acted like they were ignorant so they have something to talk about. I see some elbows going back and forth here at the crowd. That's great. Or maybe you know about this where you change your schedule. Maybe it was in college and you changed classes or you made sure you were walking by at this certain point to meet that certain person. You just happened to bump into them. I think about all the ways that we, we do things that are very odd out of love. 
And that's what we're talking about today in John chapter 11. So in John chapter 11, we're going to see Jesus do some weird things that he says are motivated by love, but they're not how we would consider or describe love. All right, so we're going to be in John chapter 11, verse 1. You can follow along. It's also on the screen behind me. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So throughout chapter 11, we're going to hear over and over and over again how, John, how Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these three siblings. We hear this over and over again. It's, it's stressed. It's just like pounding you in the face. And then we read this. Lazarus is sick. Jesus loves this Lazarus. And because of this love, Jesus delays in going to visit, going to heal, going to save. Why does this happen? What is going on here? These people that John or that Jesus loves so much and they love Jesus. We read that Mary is the one who's going to anoint Jesus' feet. In the Gospel of John, this hasn't happened yet. This is something that John is saying, you've heard these stories and I'm writing this not to be this chronological perfect thing. I'm writing this so that you may believe and I'm telling this Jesus story specifically. But over and over again, he is going very, very clear, Jesus loves these people but the response that jesus has to one of the people he loves being sick is that he waits why does he do that we read that jesus goes back to judea and if you remember if you've listened along with us these last few weeks this is in judea where jerusalem is this is the hornet's nest this is where there's opposition building this is where people are trying to kill jesus this is eventually where he'll be executed and Jesus returns after a delay, and he arrives at their home, and Lazarus has died. And as we go into the story, there's a couple things that might be helpful to think about with Mary and Martha. Now, Martha is the more practical one. She's the realist in this situation, okay? Mary's the more emotional one. She has her feelings on her sleeve. She is like me. She's probably impetuous. She is somebody that feels everything, and Mary and Martha are often played off as opposites, okay? That's something. So Martha, we're going to deal with first. She's the realist, right? Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So the realist, Martha, she asked the question that Mary's going to ask. She asked the question that I think we are kind of forced and implied. We, we want to ask ourselves, Jesus, why did you do this? If you would have been there, you could have saved our brother, the one we love. Why would you wait? Why would you delay? 
And Martha is the good student, right? Martha's the one that anticipates the argument, who anticipates the objections that Jesus is going to give. And so she kind of gives the answer that's the stock answer. She says, yes, I know he's going to rise again. Yes, I know it's all going to be okay in the end. And Jesus comes back and says, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. Do you believe? She compartmentalizes her faith and her grief. She can keep those things separate. She does the hand-wavy thing. Yes, yes, yes. I know it'll be fine in the end. But Jesus comes to her and asks her. He confronts her. Do you believe? Do you fully believe? Are you fully in? Have you allowed your faith to come into all the different compartments of your life? Yeah, you've taken your faith. Yes, I know he'll be raised again with your grief. Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says to her, hey, why are you holding back? Why can't I have all of this? And remember, all through John, there's this overarching theme of belief, of faith. That John is writing this not so that we know more about Jesus. John is writing this so that we may come to believe in Jesus. And so here, Martha gets asked that question. Do you believe this? And then we go to Mary. Mary is the emotional one. She's the impetuous one. She is the one you know how she feels about something, right? She's probably a lot of fun to be around. She is the sympathetic, empathetic person. She is the one who is expressing this, expressing this pain. And we read in the, in the, in the verses that we're not going to cover here right now that, that they were gathered in their home. And, and Jesus and Martha had this conversation kind of on the outskirts of town. And word gets to Mary that Jesus is here. And so she runs out of the room. She runs out of the room. Everyone there thinks, well, she's got to go to the tomb again, the grave site. And she's going to mourn once again. And Mary doesn't go there, but she rushes up to Jesus. In verse 32, she says this. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same question Martha asks. Same question that I think we ask, particularly in those moments when a loved one passes, when, when it's tragic, when it's not fair. Jesus, why didn't you heal? So Mary rushes out. She asks the same question, but the context is different. She's very emotional. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not... Could, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This is the Jesus who has this reputation of these miracles and these healings. And Well, of course he could have taken care of Lazarus. And yet here he is in grief. See, Jesus goes to where Mary is. Jesus goes to where Martha is. He goes there intellectually, emotionally. He goes there rationally. He goes where they are. Martha is talking about these two different ways of understanding things, compartmentalizing things. And Jesus says, no, 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 get those together. He, he, sees, he sees Mary weeping and, and, and wailing and, and just absolute agony. He says his spirit is troubled and he weeps with her. They both ask the same question. They both ask the same question. 
They both have incredibly extreme beliefs about what this Jesus can do. They believe that Jesus could have healed this man. They have extreme beliefs about this. They have extreme love. They both believe that Jesus could have healed their brother. But these extreme beliefs cause something. These extreme beliefs, these extreme emotions and feelings, they cause something. They cause division. They cause division. I'm going, I'm going a little side tangent here, so stick with me. It's not rocket science, and it's not, it's not hard to figure out and think about what we've lived through, a global pandemic, an economic downturn, racial reckoning, uh, election like no other. When we go through that again, we'll all know how to live, right? We've got that experience behind us. But we've seen how extreme views of all different sorts and stripes, extreme views that I hold, I hold extreme views as well, how they cause division. I'm not saying that everyone just has to come to the moderate middle and, and kind of this mushy, kind of everybody's fine kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not saying there's nothing truth because I have extreme opinions about truth, about life, about, about violence, about money, about, about how... Probably the most extreme thing that I believe is that uh, this rabbi some 2,000 years ago was actually God on earth, died on a cross, and rose from the dead. That's an extreme view. That's an extreme view. Now, if you're watching at home, kind of lock in here. Kind of set down that second screen. If you're, if you're here, hear this. See, Jesus is modeling to us what we do when we have these extreme views, these extreme emotions. He's showing us how we're supposed to respond to one another, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to express these things. See, see Jesus is telling us and showing us that Mary and Martha are both asking a question that's wrong. They're, they're saying, Jesus, if you were here, you could have healed my brother. They're, they're saying it's already over. They're asking the wrong question. See, Jesus knows this is about to change, but he goes to where they are. See, they won't hear what Jesus is telling them unless Jesus goes where they are. Think about it if it was reversed. Martha comes out in her very rational, very, very, very book knowledge. Like, my, my grief is over here, but yes, hand wave, I know that you will raise everyone for that. I know in the end everything will be fine. If Jesus had shown up and shown grief and wept there in that moment, Martha would have been confused because that wasn't what she was feeling. If he had gone to Mary, who was so aggrieved, who was so emotional, and just said, do you really believe? She would have said, of course I do. Why do you think I'm crying? like this. So you see, Jesus goes to where they are so they can hear what Jesus is saying. See, as Martha is saying the right things, Jesus presses her with that question, does she really believe? Mary is showing these outward signs of grief, of grief and Jesus has compassion and weeps with her. See, Jesus sees the world very differently than we do. His teachings are difficult and at times divisive. Jesus sees things differently. He encourages have this extreme view. And here we read that out of love, Jesus goes to Lazarus after he has died. He's intentionally waited. But these extreme views that we see here, we see lived out in Jesus, is not more division. It's not just to yell louder. These extreme views must lead to extreme empathy. These extreme views must lead to extreme empathy. As I've said over and over again, we're celebrating seven years as a church, and we're really, I'm really excited about that. I'm proud of that, and I'm thankful for that. 
but, but I know this, I know this, that, that our whole idea, our whole idea is not to get everyone to think like I do, to have the same views and opinions that I do. Our whole deal, our whole mission is to help people find and follow Jesus and take steps towards that. Because what I see in, in our culture is a culture with more and more extreme views. More and more extreme views, and therefore more and more division, and a lack, and a lack of empathy. Just because we disagree, just because we disagree about something cultural, or something political, or something to do with social, or even ethical things, even though we may disagree about what we view of Jesus, or how to read certain sections of the Bible, Jesus comes along and builds unity out of this. Jesus comes along and builds unity out of this, encouraging us to have empathy for others. If we are saying to ourselves, I don't know how so-and-so can be a Christian, can be a follower of Jesus, if they think that way, if they live that way, if they voted that way, you fill in the blank. If we are just writing off people that we disagree with, then our extreme views are not leading to extreme empathy, they're leading to extreme division. And I am as guilty as anybody. I am as guilty as anybody of allowing my extreme opinions not to lead to extreme empathy. Where I get to say, I disagree, but how can I connect with you? How can I understand where you're coming from? How can I ask these hard questions of how you got to that point? In the middle of this story about love and the weird things that it causes Jesus to do, we see an example of what love should cause us to do in the moment. In the moment, we see Jesus live out this love. Jesus shows up right where we are, speaks to our situation, understands our context, and provides what we need. That's empathy. And so here we have Jesus. He's going to approach the tomb. We're going to pick this up in verse 38. Full of compassion, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Now, every culture throughout history has different customs and different practices around death. You know, some of the earliest memories that I have with family and everyone being together were, were holidays, but were also funerals and what happened after the funeral. Uh, my grandmother's house became the, the magnet for every casserole, every ham, every dessert thing you could imagine when my grandfather died. And, and everyone brought this over and just, just people were coming and going and they were, just, they were just there. They were in that place. That's not a biblical thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a pretty good thing, but that's a cultural thing. In this day, in, in this story, what we have is that, that there would be a, a, a very intentional outward show of grief. There would even be times where the wealthy would hire people to come and grieve at the funeral of a loved one. And they also believe this, that after four days, after four days, that's when the spirit left the body. And so maybe you've been at a funeral and people talk about standing over an open casket saying, that's just their body, that's just a shell, that's not them. They understood this to be four days after that's when the Spirit left. Now, that's not a biblical thing. That's not a scientific thing. That's a cultural thing, and that's fine. So Martha's speaking up, very practical, once again, saying, look, look, Jesus, if you open this, I know you want to see the body, but this is going to be bad. 
there's decomposition, there's no more hope, it is over. And then in verse 40, that Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Come back to that. Did I not tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His feet and hands were wrapped with the strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Other translations add, add, give him something to eat. Because if you've been dead for four days, you're apparently hungry. That's how that works. So what do we do with this story? What do we do with this story when we apply it to our lives? What do we do with this story when the, someone that we love goes through tragedy? When we lose somebody before we should? What do we do with this story when we suffer? Hey, that's great that this happened to Lazarus. He showed up four days late, but still resurrected the guy and he got to come out. What do we do with this story? Why, what is Jesus trying to communicate here? Is he trying to communicate? Is he trying to show that if you love me, if you believe, you will never experience any pain or hardship? No. What Jesus is doing is showing that his love leads to his glory. His glory being revealed. See, this story isn't about Lazarus being raised from the dead. Though that's huge and incredibly important. And it shows us that Lazarus and Jesus' resurrection is kind of a preview. It's a forerunner of what will happen to all believers at the end. No, this is what the love of God looks like. This is what the love of Jesus creates. What happens when we fully experience this love? Where does this love lead? Does it lead to security and provision and getting the things we want? Mary and Martha were loved and didn't get what they wanted. In fact, John tells us that it was because of this love Jesus delayed going there. See, what we see in God's love is his glory revealed. In fact, love forces us. Love shows us something. Love forces something to happen. With Martha, it was the hard questions of faith, the, the question of introspection, the question of, of, of basic things that are hugely important. Do you believe? Do you really believe? This love is shown to Mary by, by sharing in her grief and this extreme empathy. And finally, love is shown in raising Lazarus from the dead. Not because Mary or Martha wanted that and Jesus just gives them what he wants, but because he was revealing his glory. He was revealing his glory. See, to be loved by God is to be shown glory. To be loved by God isn't to get what you want. To be loved by God isn't to experience things that are really great. That may happen because God is a good father. But to be loved by God is to experience his glory. See, love is no matter what happens, we experience God's glory. Last week we talked about the full life. Love is God's glory, that full life. See, the glory of God is the fullness of God. We can experience the completeness of God. The love, the, the truth, the hope, the forgiveness, the the justice of God. You hear this. The love of God leads to more of God, not to more stuff from God. The love of God leads to more of God, not to more stuff from God. Everything else in our lives, there's some sort of transaction, it seems like. 
There's some sort of exchange that's going on. And what God provides isn't more stuff. It's more of himself. See, John chapter 11 is this weird chapter to me. It's this weird chapter because it lays out something that is so universal. We seeing a loved one die. And if you're a believer, we see a loved one die, and we cry out to God for healing. Or maybe if you're not a believer, maybe that was the first time you prayed, and you're just throwing out whatever to whoever to try to save this person you love. And we see in this moment that we say, well, John has told us over and over again that Jesus is God on earth. We've seen this play out. If he is God on earth, why would his love cause him to delay from healing Lazarus? We can take that story. We say, well, if we just really believe, if we believe the right way, if we believe enough, then that loved one will be saved. And if someone tells you that, if someone tells you that the reason that you're experiencing this, the reason they died, the reason that you're suffering is because you didn't believe enough, be nice and say thanks, but walk away. Get away from that, because that's not truth. If someone tells you that, that man, you, you, you just didn't pray hard enough. If you would have prayed harder, they would be alive. Just walk away. Because what is happening in John chapter 11 isn't this resurrection of this man that Jesus loved. It's the revelation of God's glory. And as much as we want, as much as we want to not suffer, as much as we want those we love not to suffer, what we need more is God's glory. What we need more is God's glory. What we've been created for and what we've been designed to receive and what is absent from our life is God's glory. When we read the Bible, when I read the Bible, I see a singular condition. Our singular need isn't protection, isn't provision, it isn't getting more things that we want. It is experiencing the glory of God. And you know what the glory of God is? It's being able to know God. It's being able to have that connection with God. It is this idea that in our current state, our sin, our mistakes, the things that we have screwed up, the things that aren't how they're supposed to be in God's eyes have gotten in the way. In our relationship with God, there's full of static. Yes, we can see beautiful things. We can experience divine moments, but there's static in this. And Jesus steps into this and removes that, removes those barriers and allows us to experience God's love, God's glory, God's presence. The glory of God in Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy your soul. You were made for this. You were made for this. So does Jesus allow bad things to happen to people just so his glory can be shown? Maybe. And that's really hard. But John chapter 11 says, maybe. And I don't think God creates disease or causes these horrible things to happen, but I do think that in all things, God is revealing his glory. See, love is, is giving us what we, what we most need, not what we most want. It isn't success, it isn't marriage, it isn't family, it isn't even healing. It is experiencing the glory of God. 
And if you're the practical realist, and in your faith moments, in your grief moments, you say, yes, this is terrible, but yes, I still believe. I think Jesus comes to you and says, do you really believe? Not because you have to earn something else, but saying, have you fully opened up all aspects of your life to me? Or if you're the person who is just crushed when grief comes, you are crushed when you suffer. You have no problem crying. You are tired of crying. You have no problem expressing yourself. I think Jesus shows up and he has extreme empathy for you. Because in all things, he's revealing his glory.